making change. How to control money instead of it controlling you. If you haven't figured out, this is a little bit of a play on words. The idea of making change. And then when you put it in that essence, in that, in that, in that world of, of money, it sort of has all different kinds of implications. So for some of us, we look at making change and we think about the lack of extra change that we have sitting around. I, I wish I had some extra dough just kind of living and living around that I could have for things, but I feel like I'm stretched a little more thin. So for some of us, when we see that, and we think about this idea of making change, we think, I would love to make some change in life that would allow me to have some extra change around. And so in some ways, we talk about this controlling money instead of it controlling us because we feel like it controls us because the lack thereof, because we're so thin on it, it feels like we're told what to do by the lack of money that maybe we don't have, Right? For others of us, we look at this making change and we understand that there's some places in life that we need to make some change, that it will have a dramatic effect on our relationships, that it will have a dramatic effect on our faith, that it will have a dramatic effect on our church community if we learn how in our own lives to make change. So it's this idea that, you know, there's this, there's this money idea that plays off this of making some extra change and having that around, but I think also many of us are aware in our lives that we look at our lives, we look at the way that money has a tendency to control us, to tell us what to do, to force us into certain things, that we feel like we need to make some changes in our own lives. Now, there's people who have developed entire financial systems on this idea of making change. They're going to give you a game plan for what to do with your finances. They're going to give you a game plan of how you can control your money so that it doesn't end up controlling you. I put this in my notes this way, and I wanted to write some of this down. Out of control isn't where any of us want to be when it comes to our money. Does that make sense? Out of control isn't where any of us want to be when it comes to our money. So that's why these financial systems that people create come from that help you make change. That's why financial advisors exist that help us with retirement because some of us, as we think about that someday and we look at it, we say, you know, I'm just going to kind of just coast and just hope that things sort of work out and it'll all just kind of land and it'll be okay, right? That's how this works, right? We usually sit back and go, you know, that's not the way that it works. I need to have a plan. I need to have this figured out. We don't want to feel out of control. What if we could? What if we could have control? What if we could figure out a way to control money instead of it controlling us? And what if, what if there were huge implications for that when it comes to our relationships? Out of control lives and out of control money leads to some pretty ugly things in our relationships. The number one thing that couples fight about in marriage is money because it runs you out of control. So there's this thing that it helps with our relationships. We also look at it in terms of helping just with our finances in general, getting control of it helps us to figure out where are things going and what are we doing and how is this happening instead of looking and saying, where did all of that go? Does anybody here, does anybody, um, my dad's change, change purse uh, illustration, for, for that I always think of that there's always money in there. Does anybody feel the other way that their wallet is sort of just like a black hole? Does anybody, does anybody ever feel that way? Is it, and you can nudge the person next to you this morning. That's totally fine. If you feel like the person next to you is the black hole person, that's fine because I'm going to admit I'm the black hole person. So if we sort of have any extra money sitting around and Jill's like, 
hey, why don't you put this in your pocket and we'll make sure that we have it later. And she comes and says, didn't I give you $20? Can we use that for this? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know where that went. And I have this assumption, and this is just what I'm thinking. I think potentially what happens. It's just like things, you know, that, that men put away in the kitchen or in our garage. It, they sprout legs, okay? They have minds of their own, and they just walk away. That's what happens to my wallet. It's like a black hole where it just shows up, and then all of a sudden I go, I'm pretty sure it went on its own, and it decided it had better things to do than spend time with me. But that's kind of how we feel like with our money. We're like, I need to put a leash on it. I need to have control over it because it's getting out of control. Now, here's what's interesting. The surprising thing for some of us will be that Scripture has a lot to say about the topic of money and finances. The Bible is full of uh, advice and warnings and commands about money. In some ways, this is surprising, but in other ways, it shouldn't be surprising because our money is tied up with how we spend our lives. Our money is absolutely tied up with what we do with the time that we have. Our money gives us the ability to do certain things, or our money gives us the ability to not do certain things, but at the end of the day, we're able to do what we do or not what we do based upon the money that we have and the resources that we have. In the Bible, the story is interested in what we do with our lives. How do we spend our lives? And here's what I wrote down. You may struggle to believe this, but God cares about what you do with your life. I wanted to say this, and I want to make sure this is clear, because I tried to say this last week. I want to say this again this week, and I wish this is just something, and I may just start saying this every single week, that anything you take away from today, if there is anything that you take away from this conversation that we're having with each other right now, is this. God cares about what you do with your life. That is the reason that I became a pastor. It's the reason that I continue to be a pastor. It's the reason that I want to continue to be a pastor because when I look at people that God has put into my life and the relationships that I get to build, the incredible friendships that I get to have with people that I might have never wise known, I wouldn't have known otherwise without this place. But the one thing that I see and the one thing that continues to keep me pushing forward is this idea that when I look in each in person here, when I look in your eyes, when I talk to you, when I get to know you by name, what I realize and what I recognize and what I see in everyone is that God cares about what you do with your life. I think that is the coolest thing. I think that is the most incredible thing. And I love to see people who realize that. Whether it's sitting at coffee or whether it's in during a sermon or whether it's after church and talking, to see people light up and realize, I do matter to God. I have a purpose. There is a reason that I'm here. There's something that I'm meant to do with my life because this God of the universe somehow cares about me. Now what's crazy about this is I saw this tweet on Twitter. It was from a user called Atheist Forum. Now, I want you to hear this when I share this tweet. I'm not trying to dunk on atheists, okay? In fact, I was checking out their Twitter feed, and I said, I have to start following the Atheist Forum because they ask really good questions. Like, there were questions that I started to look at in their feed, and I said, man, 
These are great questions, the kind of things that we should wrestle with. I thought to myself, maybe we should just start a sermon series called The Atheist Forum Presents. And I thought, what a great way to dive into some of the questions that, let's be honest, every single one of us has. The Atheist Forum is just willing to ask the questions because there's no baggage holding them back from doing it. So here's the first thing I'll say. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask good questions. Questions aren't usually the problem. So this user made this hot take on Christianity, not realizing that while they were doing this, they were sharing a great sermon that sums up the story of Scripture and the meaning of Jesus. Look at this tweet. This is awesome. Christianity, the belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, Galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Now, I am going to read that differently than how I think that they wrote it. Because when I read that at first, right, the way that they were trying to say it was this. Christianity. The belief that one God created a universe. 13.79 billion years old. 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. So the tone kind of changes it, right? That's not how I read it. When I read it, it was preaching. When I read it, I felt like I had shown up at church. When I read it, I heard this, Christianity, a belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Like this thing right here is like, this is the truth. This is a sermon, and I want you to hear this. Man. It's amazing, and I believe this. And if you're here today, there's a chance that you believe this. Or maybe you think you might believe this. Or maybe you'd really like to believe this. Or maybe you're just sitting here going, I just wanted to see what these weirdos were all about. That believe this. That's fine. Keep hanging out with us. That's cool. Because here's this crazy thing. We do believe this. We believe this is true, that God cares about us, that God cares about what you do with your life, that we have meaning, that we have purpose, that we have mission. It's in light of this kind of stuff that we shouldn't be surprised that he's interested in us, that he's concerned about us, losing track and losing sight of the vision he's given us. If this is true right here, that we have meaning, purpose, mission, that Jesus was sent to earth because of this, then it should be no surprise that God is concerned that we're going to get off track and that we're going to lose sight of the mission and the purpose and the meaning of our lives. And it's to that concern, it's to that concern that Jesus spoke these words in Matthew 6. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again because I never get tired of saying this because I think it's so important here. When Jesus used heaven, he was never only speaking of somewhere you go when you die. I've said this over and over and over again, and it's so important for us to recapture this important reality of the text. It's so important to understand that this is what go, is going on here because this is what Jesus was teaching Jesus taught us that heaven was breaking into earth. This was the central reality of the message and the teaching of Jesus that when you begin to pull back some of the layers that you see in what he was teaching people, the reason that the disciples were so caught up, the reason that people said, I'll drop everything I'm doing. I'll stop being a fisherman. I'll stop doing this. I'll stop collecting taxes. I'll stop all the ways that I'm acting in my life because they looked at Jesus and they saw someone who said, look, what you're doing, what you're doing is nothing compared to what Jesus says God is doing. He says God is breaking into this world. His kingdom is coming into this world. And he looked at people and he said, come and follow me and experience that. And people were like, yes. Sign me up. This is the reality. This was the crazy part. So listen, if you think Christians are crazy because they believe a God who created a universe as big as our universe is cares about us as individuals, imagine this other crazy reality that we believe that that God is trying to bring heaven into our reality today. That's a crazy reality to believe in. But I look around and I'm so glad that I do believe in that. I look at around at the messed up reality of our world and I say, man, I'd like some kingdom here. I need some God in this world. You hear people say all the time, don't you? Man, those people need some Jesus. People don't even believe in Jesus say that, right? You ever been somewhere and somebody looks over and says, man, those people need some Jesus. You're like, yeah, they do. Where do you go to church? I don't go to church. They just need Jesus. Right? Like, you've heard that, but that's what, that's what is getting here. This is what's exciting to people, this idea that heaven is coming to earth, and this is what Jesus invites us to. He tells us that our time and our resources and our energy can be wasted on things that don't matter, or they can be invested in something that has real impact. Don't store up your treasures on earth. Store up your treasures in this thing that is coming to earth. Store up your treasures in this reality that heaven is breaking into earth. You have been invited to participate in the kingdom of God. You've been invited to help create and invite others into that reality. You've been given gifts and talent and skill and time and passion and resources for this reason. And I'm speaking to you directly. Not as a collective y'all this morning, but you. You have been given gifts. You have been given talents and skills and time and passion and resources for this reason. You. Your impact is what Jesus is saying here. Your impact isn't measured by the things that you accumulate or consume. Your impact is not about the size of your bank accounts, your house, your garage, or your storage unit. 
It's not about what anyone else thinks about you. It's not about the stuff you have or, hear me out, the stuff you don't have. Your impact is measured by choosing to participate in a story bigger than you. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to in this passage. But he knows that's not easy. So listen, that's why it gets kind of weird here in a second. He turns a corner and it gets strange. He says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, wait a minute. Now, this is where we stop. Like, when things get weird in the text, when Jesus is talking and, and you hear like a verse feels like it's kind of flying in out of nowhere, you ever feel like that? You're reading it and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're tracking, right? You're like, I'm, I'm with this, I'm with this. And all of a sudden, this verse sort of seems to go, and you're like, where did that come from? Like, you know, you think people are sitting around and Jesus says that and everybody goes, what was that? So Jesus is, is trying to help us to see something here. So he turns this corner. He, it feels like a shift, but it's going to make sense. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I said, what now? See, here's the deal. Jesus knows something about the people he was speaking to that is true of us here today. If we're not careful, our focus will end up on the wrong things. If the eyes are unhealthy, then your focus is going to end up being on the wrong things. I spent my life in glasses and contacts. I failed math classes when I was a kid because I couldn't see the chalkboard like 10 feet away. I needed glasses because I couldn't keep my focus on things that were out in front of me. And it was frustrating. I'd wake up and I would always have to think about grabbing my glasses in the morning. Jill could literally be at the doorway and I would go, who is that? Oh, it's my wife. Hey, babe. You know, right? Like, this was my life and it gets frustrating. I mean, anybody else wear glasses like that? Like, you can't see? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was, it was hard. And so I got LASIK this summer and it was life-changing. I could wake up and I would look and I was like, this is weird. I can actually see things. I can see street signs. I can see my children. I was like, I have kids. Like, this is like life-changing, right? And this is what he's talking about here. If your focus is on the wrong thing, if you can't see beyond what is right in front of you, you're going to miss out on the vision that God has for your life. See, I spent my life because I couldn't see. I had to see things right here. I could only see the things right in front of my life because my focus could only be there. He says the danger is that if your eyes are unhealthy, if you can't see what God has a vision for your life out there, you're only going to focus yourself on what is right in front of you. You're only going to focus on the things that you can touch, the things you can affect, the things that you can hold in your hands. You're only going to focus on the things that you can consume, the things that you can own. And he said, that's not what it's about. He said, you have to get your focus out in front on the vision that God has for your life. And the problem is that we do get our focus wrong. And that focus often lands on our money. So he goes on and he says now, no one can serve two masters. Now this makes sense. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Either you'll have focus on one and not be able to focus on the other. 
you have focus on the other and not be able to focus on the one, right? This is what he's saying. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is what we said last week to this. The God of money is a pathetic God. That's why he says this. The, the God of money is built on fear of scarcity and the lie of never enough. It whispers a lie to you that your life is limited only to what you make of it. The lie is reinforced by this idea that you'll never have enough. So rather than serve God, you serve money. Instead of controlling it, it ends up controlling you, and the cycle just never stops. And this is what Jesus is getting at. This is what Jesus is doing. So now he's set up tension for us. Because there's all sorts of tension in that, right? You can't serve both God and money. I get it. I lose focus on what I, what I should be doing because I'm focused on the material right in front of me. I lose focus on the idea that I'm supposed to be a part of what God is doing in this world and instead I'm focused on my own stuff. So this tension is built up and then he goes on and he answers something here. He shows us a way, and this is how I wrote it down, to short circuit the lies about money. Because that's what you have to do. We have to stop those lies about money. We short circuit it. And that's what this does. Now listen to what he says. This is so great. He goes on. And this is where the therefore comes in. This is one of those reminders. When Jesus says therefore, go back and see what he's saying. This is therefore. Does that make sense? If it says therefore, why is, what is this therefore? Now we know. He set up the tension. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Listen to this, he's short-circuiting this idea of losing focus. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus is pointing out something that we leaned into last week. The lie is that we think we can purchase our security, our satisfaction, in our significance. Those three things are found in this text. Security, satisfaction, and significance. You can't buy those things. What Jesus says, in fact, that all those things come from God and God alone. God created this world, this incredible universe and world out of an overflow of his love. And that's a story that he entrusted his people to tell. Therefore, the life we have, the, the resources we have, the mission for our lives all comes from God and belongs to God. And we've been invited to share that story with the world. One of the writers of the letters found in the New Testament wrote it this way. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What a great reflection on this idea. He says, but you, now this is one of those y'all places, right? But y'all, 
all y'all, that's, that's the even better one, all y'all who understand this reality, who believe this idea that you are meant to take hold of what God is bringing into this world. He says, all you all are chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Man, a priesthood, those are the people that tell the world about God. He said, that's who you are. That's what you've been called to. And you find your significance in that. You are a royal priesthood. That's legit, man. You're like, you're, are you a royal priesthood? No, that's great. That's some significance. A holy nation, God's possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. He says, man, if your story, if you've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, if you've been saved from an out-of-focus reality in life, where your life was caught up on here, and you have been redeemed and saved to see a vision for your life out there, he says, hold on to that. He said, grab that. You have a story to tell about that. Don't lose focus. So Jesus closes it up like this. So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he says this, but seek first. So now he wraps it up. Now he puts the hammer down. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is so interesting to me. For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, Jesus shows this comparison that people in that time prayed desperately for their material wealth, for their needs, right? They looked to their gods for the things that they wanted. And that is where the vision for their lives ended because their gods didn't care about them. Instead, Jesus reveals that this God cares about our needs. Our security and our satisfaction isn't lost on him. But seek first his kingdom. Seek God first in your security, your satisfaction, your significance will be found in him. Now, it's really easy to shift this, to shift this about to something else, right? If we just read just that passage, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But see, you're smart. You've been around here for a while, and you are smart. You understand there's context here. You understand how to read a verse in a larger context, because that's what we do together. And you understand that this is bigger than just seeking first, that Jesus must be talking about something because he was talking about money. And as much as people want to shift this away to something else, Jesus is clear here the application has to do with how we view our money. But the people who are listening to him, they would not have been surprised at this revelation at all. See, many of the people who were gathered with Jesus on the hillside when he was teaching this, when they were listening to the words of Jesus, they grew up with the Jewish faith. They knew the stories of Scripture that talked about seeking God first. Because this was the thread that ran through all of the Scriptures. From the very beginning, 
They knew these stories because they read these stories and they heard these stories. They understood the warnings of these stories that what happens when people decide to seek their own kingdoms instead of God's kingdom. They understood what happens when they seek their own significance over finding significance in God. What happens when they focus on their own stuff and instead of focusing on the reality that it all comes from God. They understood that this was a thread, this idea of first. Jesus was speaking here about the principle of the first fruits that reminded them of the need to put God first. To not lose their focus, that their lives, their resources, their mission, it all came from God. So when Jesus used the word first here, they knew what that meant. See, the people in Scripture were brilliant. They created a guardrail based on this principle. And they called that guardrail tithing. And it was built upon the principle of the first fruits. And we talked about it this week, and I want to close with it again because it's so important. It was an application to keep them on track in putting God first in their lives and seeing mission and vision for their lives. Here's how they wrote it. This is in one of those old books in the Old Testament, in one of those command books. They said, a tithe from everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now what's interesting about this, this comes in a place where there's all sorts of other commands about all sorts of things that we don't do anymore. So it's easy to kind of say, okay, I'm just going to throw that out because it doesn't apply anymore because the stuff that's surrounding it doesn't apply anymore. Except what's interesting here is, this is one of those principles that continues to weave through. And I tried to look at it and I said, I want to figure this out. Well, what is actually going on here? Well, what's interesting is, the Hebrew word here for tithe is the word 10%. It literally is 10%. The, the, the way that you could actually read this is just this. 10% of everything from the land, whether grain from soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. We put this word tithe and we sort of make it soft and nice and we don't, you know, we can just get, kind of get away from it. But it's clear. The Hebrew word is 10%. We created this word called tithe from it. So the Israelites would give 10% whatever they produced or they earned, and they would keep the 90%. They knew it all actually belonged to God, but the idea was this, and hear me out on this. The idea was a guardrail. And I tried to research this. I tried to figure this out. I tried to, what is it about 10%? Is there a secular principle that goes with this? Is there a religious principle that goes with this? Who picked 10%? And here's what I figured out. They figured it out by experience. They figured out something by experience, that this was a command given to them, and they probably tried to live all sorts of different ways to figure this out, and eventually somebody said, hey, I'm going to tell you what, in my experience, what I found out was when I get to 10%, something happens in my heart, something changes, and I, and I stop losing focus on, on, and I stop losing focus, and I don't look here, and I see what God has for my life, and they said, you should try that too, and all of a sudden, this guardrail that was said in scripture, began to get passed from person to person. And this is why we read the scripture, isn't it? There's all sorts of things in the Bible that we go, that's weird. Why is that in there? And it was people who had experience with God, sharing their story and their experience with God and helping us to understand. It's why we open this 2,000-year-old book all the time is because we look and say, these people had an experience with God and it changed their lives and it helped them to understand this reality that God has given them mission and purpose, and we need to wrestle with that too. And so in this, we find this incredible guardrail, and hear me say that word, guardrail. 
Too often we teach this as this is some kind of command that you're either in or you're out. That's not what's going on here. This is a guard rail. And eventually somebody figured out how tall that thing needed to be. The people were going on the cliff, and at first they were flying right on over. And then somebody said, let's make it two feet high, and they flew right on over. And then somebody said, what if we make it 10 feet high? And people said, that seems to work. I think we found it. And this began to be the teaching that was found throughout Scripture, a tithe. And this guardrail, hear me out, wasn't built on the question of whether they mattered to God. That's not the question. They knew they mattered to God. Jesus makes clear that he tells us, you matter to God. It was built on the question if God mattered to them. The question isn't whether they matter to God. It's built on the question of if God mattered to them. It's an invitation to apply that principle to our lives is what we find in the words of Jesus. But seek, what's the word? First. Nobody, nobody all at the same time, right? But seek first. Tithing has nothing to do with earning God's love. It's about responding to God's love with your earning and trust. Tithing reminds us to retain our focus on the mission and vision God has given us while trusting God to provide for our needs. And let's be honest, that's the hardest part, isn't it? Who do we trust when it comes to our money? Tithing is hard. And here's a couple statements, and I'm going to close this up. If we can't live off 90% of our income, we probably can't live off 100%. And I don't mean because you don't have enough, but because it wasn't designed to work that way. And I can say that because I tried. I discovered in my life that it was a lot better to live with 90% of my income God's way, keeping his mission and his purpose the focus, instead of 100% of my income, my way, putting myself first. I'm just telling you that because that was my experience. And you can ask Jill and she would tell you the same thing. And you're here because you know that your life is bigger than your own desires. So here's the question. Why not try something different? Why not make a change in your life? Why not try it God's way? Why not see what is possible when we all come together and trust, why not? Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God, we thank you for this guardrail. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for this challenge. We thank you for this reality of how easy it is to lose focus on the mission and the vision that you have given each and every one of us. God, I pray that as we challenge ourselves during this season, God, that we would take a chance, that we would see, God, what you want to do in our lives. God, that we would seek you first, significance in you, and trust that our security and our satisfaction are taken care of. Because that's the God we believe you are. That's the God that we find in Scripture. That's the God that we have found in our lives. So help us to develop and grow in that trust. It's your name we pray. Amen.